I'm Toshi Regan. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown. Here, we just need to clarify that what you're about to hear was taped before the coronavirus pandemic and before the most recent popular uprisings against the police murder of Black people. From episode seven on, we'll be talking about the book explicitly in this current context. For these first few episodes, we talked about the work in the context of all the usual mess. So be it, see to it. (laughs) So be it, see to it. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello and welcome back to the Parables Podcast with Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi Regan. Um, we are on chapter three of the parable of the sower, which begins, do you have it to read? Oh yeah. I'm over here. <laughs> You're like, I'm deep in the content. I am totally deep. <laughs> it's so. It's unbelievable. Like as many times as I read it, as soon as I get in the world, I am in it. I'm in it again. Every I am single time. so in it and yeah. And somebody was asking me like, oh what do you think you'll do after this? And I was like, there is no after this. There's not after this. There's inside of this. (laughs) It's inside of this. Okay, chapter three. We do not worship God. We perceive and attend God. We learn from God. With forethought and work, we shape God. In the end, we yield to God. We adapt and endure. For we are earth seed, and God is change. Earth seed, the books of the living, And we are now Tuesday, July 30th, 2024. I love the introduction of we are earth seed. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of being, it plants the seed, right? Like it's like a seed is something that needs to be rooted and then to grow. And the seed is not the the end of it, but the beginning of it. We are earth seed. There's a lot of potential and hope and possibility in the identification of Earthseed, even though I would argue that there's very little hope feelings mm. <laughs> throughout this text. Um, but the belief system itself is like, I love this idea also of like, it's not about worshiping, um, but it's about being in a relationship with. Like mm-hmm. I pay attention to, and my responsibility is to shape God, which I think, um, you know, I think that the number one thing perhaps that people need to awaken to is that sense of responsibility, Mm. that it's not about what you critique in others, but that each of us has something we are responsible for living into, practicing and doing, bearing, bringing into the world, that if we do not do it, it will not get done. Like It's not like someone else can cover it. It's like each of us has a particular responsibility for the whole. And I feel like this is where she sort of begins that like, you give and you give and you give and then you yield, which is, you know, my way of understanding kind of that Buddhist way of, you know, you you commit yourself fully to the process and you detach from the outcomes, mm. right? It's like your, your work is to be shaping and shaping and shaping, but the collective is going to determine what actually can emerge. Yeah, just reflecting on the earth seed verses, which I do approach as like 
testimonials. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot happens in this chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is this chapter. You know, this chapter for me is, you know, about an accumulation of events yeah. that all cycle and circle around each other to make a larger accumulation of bigger events. Yes. And so there is, um, you know, one, Lauren's already letting you know how much she cares about the stars and the sky. So there's an astronaut on Mars. Yeah. And, um, and well, I always imagine as a black astronaut, do we know she is? I mean, she got a lot of names. Let's see. Like, um, Alicia Catalina Godinez Leal. Yeah. She got a lot of names. So like Latinx, Afro Latinx. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I wish her picture was in this book. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I want to see her face. Octavia is very specific about her names. I know. Yeah, so we have that and then yeah. we have um water and yes. um you know the the cost of water has gone up. Um there are these water peddlers and um they're at risk. They're the ones that sell water to people on the yeah. streets and poor people. Humans still need water. Yes. Like nothing's changed about that. It is that. still capitalism, so it's still a business. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. And water becomes um, more expensive than gasoline uh, because very few people actually can own cars. Um, uh-huh. So that idea of all of us driving around in our car... Um, becomes obsolete and uh they're sitting in people's driveways and just resting resting dysfunctional um and so this this idea of of like things coming to an end yeah um and like i love there's a section here that always strikes me where they stay clean inside. Like when they're in the community, they mm-hmm. have to stay clean. But then when they're going to leave the community, that they put on dirty clothes so that when they go out, they don't stand out too much yeah. from the people outside. Yeah. And I think about this. It's a strange thing, but I feel like I've experienced this in movement spaces with with rich people. <laughs> where they like, you okay, are. you know what I'm talking about? Where like, they're like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Just like there's a certain way of like um, showing up where it's like, oh, like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of how to even describe it, but there's just a way of showing up and just being like, I'm not washed. I'm not smelling all great, but I'm also, I don't want you to see the wealth on me. And mm. I really don't want you to see the wealth on me. I want to be able to just f- be here and be a part of this. And so I, I've experienced it many times where I've like gotten to know someone who based on all the social cues that I grew up with was at the same class as me or struggling more than I was. Mm. And then I would find out that they have like billionaire parents or something. And you know, so it's, it's interesting. And I think it's like very much, uh, I'm like, Oh, that's a safety move. Like Mm. I feel like Octavia presents it here. It's like, it's a safety move to be like, we don't want you to see what we have because it's dangerous in this, in this environment. If you see what we have, you're going to try to take it, which I think is very similar for what's happening with wealthy people in movement spaces a lot. It's yeah. like, if you know I have money, I won't get to just be here. So I think that there's a similar thing that can happen um, around class outside of even movement space, where it's just sort of like there's a, a funny thing in capitalism where there's some people who are like, I really want my money to be seen. And then there's other folks who are like, 
oh, once I start to understand that it's not necessarily fair that I have more and others have less, then I don't necessarily want it to be seen because then we have to enter a conversation about redistribution. We have to enter a conversation on like what I have that you don't have. But anyway, this just always stands out to me. It's just this idea of like putting on the costume of the outside world in order to go out and like, and also how, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like how rarely that works. Like if you actually are, struggling you recognize it it's interesting when you you sit in rooms and you realize like you're part of the problem yes. like when the issue yes. comes out and i'm like ah that's about me yeah i'm doing that yeah. let me let me find something else to do <laughs> <laughs> that's not good that's right that's <laughs> you know? right uh, you got me rearrange myself because i'm not in the, in the right lane for this and, situation yeah and it's also like well what you know Everything in this having and not having in this world is such a transient thing. Mm-hmm. So like even as we're watching, it's like in one paragraph, it's like we have to wear these dirty clothes to go out there. But in the next one, it's like their wall screen goes out and they no longer have access to yeah. the technology that they were used to. Yeah. And yeah. that's yeah, that's kind of like, you know, these these chapters are brilliantly built to you get a feel for life. Yes. You know, and a, and a, the functionality of life. And it's it's kind of like what you were saying. All these things are happening, but people are having the functionality of their lives one way or the other. Yeah. And you know, finding their their joys, finding their comforts, finding yeah. whatever they can until it, they can't anymore. Yeah. You know. And yeah, this is interesting too because sometimes I like to be what technology yeah. like is matching with what we have and and what isn't. And then exactly. So it's like everybody that got like a giant television, like keep that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that old chunky giant, like keep that. <laughs> like that thing might actually, you could open it and figure out how to fix it potentially. Yeah. You and then know. you could charge your neighbor's money mm-hmm. to to watch like yes. what's available. That's right. That's basically what happens um, in this and story. And then they go to radio, right? Yeah. She's obsessed with the radio. Yeah. She like kind of, I think there's not a point where she doesn't have one. Yes. You know, so um, I'm obsessed with radio too. Yeah. I mean, this is a large part of, I think why podcast as a forum is interesting to me is because it's a real like reaching for radio and reaching for that, like, oh, the immediacy and the conversationality. Mm-hmm. So then what happens? Well, you just get a lot of examples of the community. Okay. Like you really, you know, you start to hear um, the names of people you know, you have the Giannis sisters and um, these are three sisters and you get to hear like um, Mr. Giannis, he was a dentist. He was killed while riding his electric cycle home from the Walden guarded clinic he worked. Um, and you just, you start to hear that there's still things functioning. I think um, one of her sisters is a nurse, you know, and one is a pharmacist and they own their house. Like you just start to get this feel for what people are doing. Oh, and there's this piece around how the police work. She unveils like, she says that the police came and they collect their fee. Like they did whatever they were supposed to do and then they collected their fee um, (laughs) and they don't do shit. But I'm just like, oh, can you imagine that being the way it works in the future where it's like if you call the police, you have to pay them something on site, like a tipping system. Yeah. 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 And 
um, the Giannis family, they had the business of the, yeah. of the, you know, of a TV or the window wall. Yeah. And when that goes out, that's like they lose income. Um, and then we have like, you know, kind of two big deaths yeah. for her. So we have, um, we have the astronaut on Mars. Yes. And then we have, um, their neighbor, um, yeah. the elder Mrs. Sims. And this is a really big one. Mrs. Sims is, uh, you know, robbed and raped and, but it's an accumulation of things that happen in her yeah. life. Um, one is that she's, you know, kind of a scared, selfish, um, elder yeah. loves Jesus and the Lord, but it's like kind of mean yep. and, you know, bigoted. And I felt like I could see this woman. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I know her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she won't let anybody live with her. Yeah. She's afraid of even her own relatives. And, um, yeah. you know, so she, she Who also get killed. Yeah. She makes some decisions that weigh heavy on her. Yeah. You know, and in the end, like, it's not like, oh, this happened to her because she made these decisions, but they're just an accumulation of steps. Um, that happened. And, um, you know, so when her family who would have been better living with her when they get killed, this weighs heavy. And then she gets robbed and she gets raped and that weighs heavy. And then she already, you know, don't like nobody, Yeah, you know, and even though the community, um, reaches out to take care of her, she really can't, she really can't deal with it. Yeah. She Um, can't receive that. So she kills herself. And um, for Which Lauren, is massive because she's Christian. She's like a big believer, so mm-hmm. it's you know she's like it. It's better to risk eternal damnation and hellfire than to stay in this condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get this also this just beautiful sense of how much Lauren really sees her community. Yeah, like it's just all of the details and perspective of you know how people are living together in this place and how they've, you know, built these dynamics with each other and have accepted each other. Yeah. Like for who they are. Like Miss Sims is, is salty, but everybody's like, you know, that's she's just salty. how she is. <laughs> and then, you know, when something wrong happened, people chipped in to help her. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really deep. And it's something that really affects Lauren. And she's in the process now of writing and rewriting and beginning to like let what will become Earthseed come out of her. Yes. Do you want to read the verse that they give us here? Yes. Uh, God is power, infinite, irresistible. And what is this word? Inexorable. Wow. I know. Inexorable, indifferent, and yet God is pliable, trickster, teacher, chaos, clay. God exists to be shaped. God is change. Mm. And she says, this is the literal truth. God can't be resisted or stopped, but can be shaped and focused. This means God is not to be prayed to. Prayers only help the person doing the praying, and then only if they strengthen and focus the person's resolve. Mm. If they're used that way, they can help us in our real relationship to God. They help us to shape God and accept and work with the shapes that God imposes on us. I just love that she's just like so clear. This is where you start to feel the power of her belief like her way of knowing that it's like you know 
there's no, for her, it's not like, and I, I will say this because I feel the same way about emergent strategy that I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm not arguing with anyone around it because it's not, um, it's not, um, it doesn't feel subjective. Right. Like the way she writes it, she's like, this is, that is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. And I know it's true. Yeah. And even if nothing else around me um, knows how to affirm that yet, I do know this is true. And it's so, to me, this is where, she gains our trust as the narrator because I'm like, okay, she's seeing the world outside, but she has something that she's ready to start to move into that world. Yeah. And not only that, (laughs) but she looks at these two women who have died Uh and she really investigates herself in reflection of them, which is amazing. Yeah. And And their concepts of heaven, like the astronaut, Liel, who Kat, Kat just sent me a little note that Liel translates in Spanish to loyal. Ha. Yeah, and that okay. she wanted to be buried on Mars, this astronaut, and that they, the space program whatever says no, and they're like bringing her back. So they deny her that heaven, and mm. then Mrs. Sims is denied heaven because of what, you know, by what other people believe happens um, after you die, if you commit suicide, right? That Christian, that Catholic particularly belief um, that if you commit suicide, then you cast yourself out of heaven. So I think that that self-reflection around what what Lauren believes and also what is heaven and what is here, what is now. Listen, she ain't playing with nobody. Mm-mm. She says, my God doesn't love me or hate me or watch over me or know me at all. And I feel no love for or loyalty to my God. My God just is. Mm. I'm like, what what well and it's so beautiful because i'm like oh snap like she really is rejecting that comfort system Mm -hmm. that idea of god as mammy or whatever where it's like i'm gonna catch you and hold you and carry you and like you know even the way so many people pray like lord watch over me particularly of your children she's just like that's not how it works like you have to put in and that's what you get out you have to shape and release you know yeah like for her faith is like it just is. You have to believe that that is and work with it. And this idea, I mean, this is a recurring theme throughout the book, mm. is what are you actually working on? What work are you putting into these systems? Yes. Yeah. Um, this chapter um, really ends with the election. Oh, yes. You know, and um, and we're welcoming in uh, Christopher Charles Morpeth Donner. And um, it's it's funny because, you know, doing the opera, um, people are like, you know, she predicted this president. She predicted this president. Um, he's if um, you keep electing someone on the level of Trump over and over again. Yeah, that's right. And I'm like, no, she predicted us. She predicted us. Yes. I, can you go on and on about this just a little bit more? Because I feel yeah. like this is one of my most exciting things I've ever heard you talk about is how it like Octavia wasn't imagining some wild thing. Yeah. She was predicting exactly us. Yeah, she was. She just, she doesn't think it's like some magical gift. She thinks everybody can do it. Yes. And she's like, if you believe what you see, yes. like, and what you know, and then you just keep going, what's next, what's next, what's next? Yeah. You know, you'll start to be able to, you know, like look forward down the road. Obviously, change can happen at any time. Yeah. But she, one thing about humans she predicted, which, and especially us American humans, is how 
how much we follow in lanes yes. of um, how hard it is for us to break break with, you know, I think our founding fathers of this country. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's completely like difficult. It's like the country should be run by, you know, a middle-aged to older white man. Yes. And that's what should happen. And yeah. anything different is just considered like so crazy. <laughs> It, it's it's unimaginable and right. and they should be oppressive right like and they authoritarian and authoritarian yeah and you know the, the and but also that their intentions are good right that's that thing of like i mean because i feel like that you know when we talk about children in concentration camps now people are like this is not what america is and i'm like this idea that the founding fathers had any brown children in mind as yeah. receiving any kind of humanity is ludicrous to me yeah <laughs> right i'm like that's not what's happening they were yeah. owning they own slaves i never liked yeah. when obama would say um god bless america and i never like when he said um americans are better than something yeah. or you know or this is not america like i it's like almost when anybody else said it i kind of was like well they're lying but when he said it i was like are you crazy i'm offended yeah i'm, I'm offended, offended right now you know like I, I got mad love for obama but i was like no like you know. stop it you know like so octavia writes in here um lauren talking with her friend joanne about this knowing the future and joanne um this is later this is chapter five but Mm. we're like leaping ahead here but joanne says you don't know that you can't read the future and lauren's like you can if you want to it's scary but once you get past the fear it's easy yeah and it feels like she's doing that work in this book of being like here's what you need to look at yes if you look at it you will definitely see that this is connected to what we're living right now and i think this election is like this election that we're in this 2020 election cycle that we're in right now but this 2024 election of christopher donner these these are in relationship to each other to me it's like we are in a moment where we could have predicted this if we wanted to if we wanted to pay attention yeah right yeah like i'm happy for everybody to have their um wars right now around who will be running against um the occupier but like yo well, whoever gets gets whoever it, lands there, we uh, every you can't do what back. you did last time. That's right, and be like so hurt in your heart that you like these people are your friends or something. Yeah, and you have to you have to um, participate in the um, present and future I of think, the planet. I think this is such a this has been something that I think you really like helped me. Like, oh, that's that's what it that's it right there yeah. is like helping people make the distinction between. Maybe for some people, maybe at some point, this country and our government felt like political home. And so that was the place where you would factor in, like, my ideals have to be met in this space. And I feel like for me, a long time ago, I was like, that's not how this is going to play out because this is a capitalist, patriarchal, um, sexist nation, um, because this is a racist nation, because of how it's structured. It cannot also be my political home. I have to be building my political home and from that place interacting with this government system and protecting myself, protecting children, right? Like I really think of it as like government fundamentally should be about creating a society in which our babies are safe and able to learn and able to become something. And I feel like this, um, yeah, this idea that (laughs) 
well, I don't like this thing about this person. Like, oh, they're 90% there, but like on this other issue, they're not. Or <laughs> I see that so, so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they what have about to be where she stands people. on this? Yeah. And I'm just like, where she stands on it is that she's not actively trying to kill me and actively trying to build a wall and actively trying to put these kids in concentration or whatever it is where, you know, any yeah. of these candidates. Right. But I think it's, I think having the conversation of, of getting more and more people to have a conversation around how do we engage with elections as if we are protecting future generations capacity to be in and find and form and grow political home yes, rather than us being like, this has to be political home right now. I'm like, no political home. You need one. But it's you, not going to be. Yeah, it's not going to come through that. It's going to be about you mm-hmm. and the circles you create. Yeah. So some of the questions that I have for this chapter. Um, one is just, are you Earthseed? Right? Like, you know, I want more and more people to be in that conversation around like, what do you understand Earthseed to be? And do you identify yourself as Earthseed? And I think it's a question I want to keep returning to throughout the book because my initial take was like, yeah, mercy, that's us. And then as I read, I was like, I don't know if I need to go off to space. I might be earth bound. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we'll talk about that. Um, but asking people, are you earthy? Do you see yourself that way? And then, you know, this moment of the technology slipping back from the wall screen to the radio, mm-hmm. it opens this question in me of how are you relating to technology in this current moment? And are you anticipating and preparing for those moments when technology shifts or slips backwards? Um, do you have people's addresses written on physical paper? Do you have a paper map? Do you know where you could go and how you could get there if something went down? Um, do you have other ways of communicating with people? So I think about this question a lot because <laughs> I'm just like, we think about technology upgrades and I feel like whenever I travel, I'm blown away at how people are taking existing technology and freaking it in a number of different ways to serve a number of different needs. But I rarely see people taking a technology regression as anything other than like a break. Like I'm about to take a social media break, right? Yeah. But I wouldn't want to live there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, also because uh, technology has become so invasive and predatory. Yes. So it's it's not like, you. well, look, you can have this cool phone and, and you can put pictures on it and you can make recordings with it and you can record a song if you want to and make a movie. Yeah. But we want to, you know, it's like, but we want to be there with you all the time. And we want to participate in that. And we want want to tie your face to everything you purchase and everywhere you go. Yeah, you know. Everything you do so that we can. We got your thumbprint. (laughs) You know, I'm like, no, I'm not using my thumbprint. Like, what the hell? Well, and I I find this, maybe this is another question that's really useful for people is, what are the current compromises you're making around technology? Because I feel mm. like there's some folks who are like, I won't use my thumbprint, but I will do something else. Like I get blown away by the number of times I'll go into an activist's home and they've got Alexa um, or <laughs> they've got- um, Like hearing all of the details. You know, yeah, right? Which yeah. for me is like, a, obviously we don't do Alexa, right, y'all? Yeah. But like, then I go into some place and I'm like, oh, or they have Alexa, but then they won't have something else. You know, they'll set like, but they have a two system verification on their Google account or something else. So I feel like very interested in people having more explicit conversations mm. around how are you navigating the compromises of current technology? And, and, you know, that feels like a second question. I'm going to ask myself that right? later on. I know yeah. I'm sitting in it right now. I'm like, who girl? Because okay. <laughs> I mean, because the, the, the ease, right? My friend Larissa Sharifi is, um, 
raising a baby right now. And she, we have these great conversations about some of this stuff, but she talks about how so many of the current chronic pains and chronic illnesses and diseases that we're experiencing in our bodies are because of our commitment to things being easy that mm. should not necessarily be easy. Like that we're like, this has to be easy and available to me right now without any effort on my part. And so the more we make those kind of moves, like, oh, I don't remember phone numbers anymore. It's easier to have it in this device. And I have wrestled for the last three years trying to remember my mother's phone number. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to remember this number. It's been the same number for 20 years. I can remember most of it and parts of it, and I can come close. I, you know, her zip code, other stuff. And I'm like, I should know this. But it's it's I would have to like sit and really work on it and write it out many times to actually get it. So I was thinking about like, what are the places where ease is debilitating us for the future yeah and also ease costs a lot of money it costs so much money so how much how how you know and what becomes easy you know like i do grocery delivery now more mm. often than not because it costs money not because it costs money it does cost money but for me the cost of having to go with my arthritis up and down the stairs and out into the cold weather mm. and like walk over to the store and come back is a higher cost to me than the cost of having these groceries delivered, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm going through all this reckoning of, ooh, now there's all this stuff to recycle, <laughs> which is it getting recycled, nah. and, right? So I think having those conversations. Um, and then let's think about, oh, other questions. So one big question that comes up here is prayer and this idea of, like, what is, what is prayer? What is it to be in a conversation with God? And if it's not worship, then what are we doing? The way that I was raised, I think there was a certain way that prayer was a diversion of responsibility. It was like, I'm praying to hand this over to you. And I feel like in some of the ways that Octavia starts to talk about this here through Lauren, it's I'm partnering with you. Like, I'm trying to sharpen and hone my capacity or she says strengthen and focus my resolve in order to be able to do something about this so just a question on like how do you understand and use prayer i'm really curious about what our version of the pyros is mm. like what is the current manifestation of that hyper destructive technology in humans did we talk about the pyros yet though oh i don't know if we did i know that they're in this chapter we um, didn't but I don't think we talked about them. Let's tell the people. Yeah, <laughs> so <these> there, <laughs> there's a drug, and mm. um, and it makes it makes people think um, that fire is better than sex. Yes, it just it makes people Ooh. really. It's it's called pyro, and it makes people really crazy. Scorpio drugs. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> You know how I feel about Scorpios. Like, I mean, I love my Scorpios. I got Scorpio moon, so yeah. I can't say shit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but so um, <laughs> so and they're called paints in the book because they they paint their faces, um, like blue, red, like green, like yes. you know, vibrant colors, and they get obsessed with looking at fires and setting fires, and they're um incredibly violent. Like you do not want to see them. I mean, right. don't want it's one of the very, happen. very few times when she actually mentions color at all in yeah. the entire parables book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're absolutely frightening. Yeah, and um, and also that they they think 
um, that it's kind of a designer drug that that wealthy kids take on. Right. You know, and it's passing through the country. Um, mm. So. Yeah. So I think that's a good question for people to ask, especially in your community, because I think this is one that you can localize in some ways. Like to me, I'm like in Detroit, I'm like, it's gentrifiers, <laughs> you know. Those are the ones who are coming in and really destroying what is and taking. And I look outside and I they probably they probably will bike past at some point in our recording process. There's these new gatherings of gentrifiers on these like bike drinking machines where like eight of them will be on there at the time biking together through a community oh, with really loud music playing and raving lights. But I'm like, the neighborhood didn't used to be like this. It used to feel safe and wonderful and and black and beautiful. And now it feels like, you know, that sameness of culture um, that burns everything away, burns away all the differences. Mm. And um, so that's a question to hold. Um, I think there's a question, you know, we learned that her father, that Lauren's father didn't actually vote in the election. Right. And I think it opens up a couple of questions here to me. One is, what is your relationship? What is the relationship in your life between belief and practice? Um, and I think that that's one of the more nuanced areas that people don't discuss around why people don't actually show up to vote is that they either believe that God has it all or they believe that it's not worth it or they believe something. And so that keeps them from being in the practice. And so then I think having a, a conversation with your community around, are we all planning to vote? How do we understand and speak strategically about the usefulness of voting? And how long in this apocalyptic shift in season is it actually useful to vote, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like there's some people who don't vote who think that that's what they're up to, is that I'm opting out of this system. But I don't think it actually ends up playing out that way, right? Like you, because we're still so tied up and invested and impacted by it, it doesn't actually work. You know, it's not like a building that we can just walk out of and, and then live outside the impacts of. So I think it's a, a meaningful question. And I would rather people have it, um, have that conversation than not have it and then not engage at all, right? Mm -hmm. So asking yourselves that question. You know, I always think, People opt out because they they don't believe, you know. Like I'm exactly. I'm like if you I, I after the last election, mm -hmm. I was like people don't believe black people. They don't believe. They don't believe us when Especially we black when, women. Like when we say we really need you to not let this man hold yeah. the office, you know. I yes. feel like people our are, lives are really in danger. Oh, our lives are happens. in danger. Yeah. Our you know our planet and resources are in danger. You know, I and I think people were like, either we don't care or we don't believe you. Yeah. And no, uh, I mean, this is why I can't go down south and visit a whole portion of my family because I'm like, y'all really voted for this person. Yeah. And even though um, I begged and pleaded in every way that I know how to, that yeah. I'm like, my my life is in danger. It's, me, look at me. <laughs> and your life is in danger. Your life is in danger. You know, like, is in danger. We're trying to save you, but y'all yeah. don't believe us. And I think that's. Yeah. That's really that's that's really hard. Um, yeah, so, that's a good conversation to have. A final question for this chapter. So Lauren says that we all know change is a part of life, but that we aren't beginning to grapple with what that means. She says we give lip service to acceptance as though acceptance is enough. Um, so our question mm. here would be: What are you gesturing towards accepting? 
And how can you actually carry that further? Right. Mm. Like what would your life look like if you truly accepted certain things as, as this is what's happening and I need to orient my life and shift my life practices accordingly. So, all right. Chapter three, compliment. There we go. (laughs) There's a new world coming. Everything going to be turning over. Everything gonna be turning over Where you gonna be standing when it comes There's a new world coming Everything gonna be turning Thank you for listening to our show. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron. Music for Octavia's Parables podcast. Always see the stars written and performed by Toshi Regan. There's a new world coming performed by the cast and musicians of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera, lead vocalist Shana Smalls, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, both based on the novel Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. You can find us on Twitter at OParables and sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash oparables. Please share this podcast with anyone you think it would be useful for. So be it. See to it.